this morning we shall consider the presentation of Jesus at the temple. Luke chapter 2 verse 21 through to 40. We're looking at a passage of scripture that records details of the presentation of baby Jesus in the temple in Jerusalem. I've already said that for the title, haven't I? And perhaps we should move on, or perhaps we should just think about that before we even go any further. Presenting Jesus at the temple, let's remember who Jesus is. He is the Son of God, and yet he was being presented at the temple, a place that is associated with sacrifices, animal sacrifices, and various old covenant ordinances. All of those things have gone. They are no more. Finished. Vanished. Faded away. And yet we have the the incarnate Son of God being presented at that place of worship. Jesus, speaking to his disciples about the temple, said in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 2, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Again, Jesus was talking about the temple that he was presented at when he was a little baby. And 33 years later, Jesus said to his disciples that there shall not be one stone left upon another the place would be destroyed completely destroyed sure enough in 70 AD the temple was destroyed by the Romans as for God's old covenant relationship with Israel with its various ceremonial laws such as those animal sacrifices and circumcision of the flesh that too has gone It has waxed old. It has all vanished away. In its place, God has made a new covenant, a new testament of which the Lord Jesus Christ is mediator. He having sealed the new covenant with his own precious blood, not the blood of animals. It is a covenant that embraces all who are trusting in Jesus as their sacrifice for sin, whether they be Jews or Gentiles. They are people whose circumcision is of the heart and not of the flesh. Having said all that, the old covenant with all its laws was very much still in force when the Son of God became flesh. Indeed, Jesus was born under that law. And he came not to destroy the old covenant with its law and its prophecy, but to fulfil it. And an example of that fulfilment by the Lord Jesus Christ can be seen in verse 21. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Jesus, the Son of God no less, was circumcised in accordance with God's law and beyond that he became obedient. Obedient to what? Obedient to God's law, unto death, 
even the death of the cross. The old covenant Jews were not able to keep the law and so it was that sacrifices for sin, animal sacrifices were made continually, day in, day out, year in and year out. However, the Lord Jesus Christ, by his life of perfect obedience, which included his circumcision after eight days were accomplished, his once and for all sacrificial death at the cross and his resurrection from the dead, all of those things have brought eternal redemption for all who are trusting in him. His perfect obedience to the law in life and in death. Note that even here in verse 21, the emphasis is not so much on the circumcision of Jesus, as important as that was in terms of his obedience to the law, but rather the emphasis is on his name. It's on the name Jesus, which means Jehovah is salvation. Again, the focus or the emphasis is on why Jesus the Son of God, came into the world. And it was to save sinners, people like you and me. Here is a trustworthy saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And everything we read here, we're going to see the law. I I don't know how many times you'll see the word law written in this passage that we're considering today, about five times I would think. It was so important that the requirements of the law were fulfilled. And Jesus came into the world to save sinners. How did he do that? By doing what everyone else has failed to do so miserably. Jesus came into the law And he was obedient to God's law. And that perfect obedience, sinless obedience, is credited to the account of all who are trusting in him. Let's have a look again at verses 22 to 24. And when the the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord. See what I mean? The law is everywhere in this passage. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. There is a lot of obedience to the Old Testament law going on in these verses. For one thing, on the 40th day after the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, Mary came to the temple for the purification rites. The law required her to bring to the priest a lamb of the first year for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. You may remember me, I don't want to dwell on this now, but um, whenever it was, a few sermons ago, I pointed out that Mary, she presented a sin offering. Who presents sin offerings? Sinners. And Mary, who was blessed, greatly blessed among women, 
all said and done, that greatly blessed lady was a sinner like the rest of us. And she rejoiced in the God of her salvation, salvation from sin. And this, of course, is what all of you do if you are trusting in Christ. You rejoice in God, your Saviour, who has delivered your life from destruction. Praise God for that. But anyway, where was I? The law required her to bring those various sacrifices, the the lamb for the burnt offering and a bird, whether it be a turtle dove or a pigeon, for a sin offering. A concession was made for poorer people who were not able to bring a lamb. They, They couldn't afford a lamb. They brought another bird instead and it would seem from verse 24 that Mary was such a person. The mother of the Lord Jesus Christ could not afford to bring a lamb for a sin offering and so she brought another pigeon or dove. Also we see that in accordance with the law, Jesus who is God but who was nevertheless born of a woman and born under the law was presented to the Lord because he opened Mary's womb. What does that mean that Jesus opened Mary's womb? It means that Jesus was her firstborn child, firstborn male child. And that presentation of Jesus would have included Mary paying five shekels to redeem him. Since all the firstborn males were holy to the Lord, this goes all the way back to the Old Testament and from the time that God delivered the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt, the firstborn males of uh, people and indeed uh, the animals were holy to the Lord. The firstborn male of a family was redeemed with the payment of five shekels. That was the ransom price, five shekels. There's quite a bit to take in there. Jesus, who as the Son of God made all things and he he upholds all things, was born into a family that had limited funds. In other words, it was poor. That's the first thing to take in. Also, five shekels were paid to redeem who? To redeem the Redeemer who would one day redeem all that his father gave him. The ransom price for that redemption would not be five shekels either, would it? What would it be? His own precious blood. That would be the ransom price. But here we are in these verses and we see Jesus, holy to the Lord, being redeemed uh, with a payment of five shekels at the temple. In verse 25, it is written that Simeon was just and devout. In other words, Simeon was a righteous man. That doesn't mean that he was accepted by God as having a righteousness or a sinlessness of his own. Not at all. His acceptance before God was as someone who was clothed and adorned in the righteousness of another. Clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not a self-righteousness. This world is full of people who have a self-righteousness and if indeed they acknowledge that there is a God 
invariably they will explain that God will allow them into heaven because basically they're pretty good people. They're not as bad as that person who was on the news the other day and, you know, they've only lied a few times, only said a few swear words or whatever. It's called self-righteousness. And God is not taken in, he's not impressed with all those words of flattery, self-flattery. There will be no boasting in heaven. Ultimately, the Lord Jesus Christ, his righteousness is given to people, or rather he clothes people with his righteousness. And they plead nothing but the blood of Jesus. If you're a Christian in here, and you stand before a holy God, what is it that you're, what is your plea? That you're washed in the blood of Christ. You're clothed with his righteousness. Full stop. Nothing else. No buts. No boasting in heaven. Not one. And just as we who are trusting in Christ look back to when he was made flesh, and we look back to him saving us, through his obedience unto death, even the death of the cross, this holy and just man, righteous and just man, devout and just man, Simeon, he looked back, or rather he looked forward. He was looking forward to the Saviour. And finally he held the Saviour in his arms, the one whom he'd been looking forward to. Look at it. Look at verse 28 there. Then took he him up in his arms and blessed God. Can you imagine that? Who was it that Simeon, we think of as Simeon being an old man, it doesn't actually say that. We know he'd been waiting for quite some time for the Saviour to come into the world. And then finally he got to hold the Saviour in his arms. What an amazing thing that is. What did he hold in his arms? God manifest in the flesh. In that little baby dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And Simeon was holding him in his arms and looking into his face. What a privilege. Finally, after how many years he got to do that. Simeon saw in baby Jesus a saviour, not just for himself, but for the whole world, which he divided into two. Looking at verse 32 there. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. With regard to the children of Israel, out of all the nations in the world, they had long, long since been God's chosen people. No doubt about it. Right from the time that the Lord delivered the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt about 1500 years earlier, the presence of the glory of God was amongst the Israelites. I don't know how many of them there were, but there's reckoned to have been maybe two million of them 
that crossed over, or rather, they, they went through the Red Sea, didn't they? The Red Sea was divided, and it provided a safe passage and an escape route for the Israelites, an escape route from the Pharaoh and his army that was pursuing them. They saw the glory of God when the Red Sea was parted like that and then it closed on top of Pharaoh and his army and they perished in the, in the sea. When else did they see the glory of God? When God led them by day in a pillar of cloud and he led them by night in a pillar of fire. God was with them. The glory of God was among them. Jesus, the promised Messiah, was born a Jew of the tribe of Judah and his first ministry was to who? The Jews. God's old covenant people. Jesus came to his own, the Jews, but his own received him not. That's what we're told in John chapter 1. As for Jesus being a light to the Gentiles, that always was God's plan as well. God didn't just come up with that one. He saw that, it's not as if God saw that things aren't going too well with the Jews here. My goodness, the, the, the Jews, they're, they're, they're rejecting my son. What am I going to do? None of all that stuff. We see it in Old Testament prophecy that Jesus, the promised Messiah, was for the Gentiles just as much as for the Jews, according to God's eternal decree. For example, in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 5 and 6, written about 700 years or more before Jesus came into the world. This is about Jesus. Listen to this. Isaiah 49, verses 5 and 6. And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb, to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. When God anointed his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the saviour, the the Messiah, the Christ, he said, I will give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. That prophecy was written a long time before Simeon, got to hold baby Jesus in his arms. We'll have a look at verses 34 and 35. And Simeon blessed them, blessed Joseph and Mary, and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Those two verses contain words of prophecy proceeding from the mouth of Simeon. 
Up until now, as we've been reading Luke's Gospel, the response to the promised Messiah, the Christ, coming into the world has been positive, hasn't it? We've, been, we've seen very positive things. The angel of the Lord came down and, and gave the news to the shepherds who were watching over their sheep by night. It was all very positive. The, the shepherds then went to see for themselves. They went into Bethlehem. They saw the baby and then they, they began to tell others what they'd seen. As for when Mary was actually pregnant with Jesus, she visited her relation Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist. What did baby John do? John the Baptist inside his mother's womb. He leapt inside his mother's womb when Mary came to the house. And as for Elizabeth, she said to Mary, Blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit have rejoiced in God my Saviour. Simeon said, Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Again, it's all very positive. However, all you have to do is look at Old Testament prophecy to see that by and large, Jesus would be rejected. The prophet Isaiah, speaking about 700 years before the virgin birth, said, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. I've already said that Jesus came to his own, the Jews, and they received him not, but nothing's changed, has it, whether it's Jews or Gentiles. As Jesus said to his disciples, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me before it hated you. Jesus is light and the world loves the darkness. Simeon was forewarning Mary of the opposition to her son by many in Israel. In line with those prophetic words of Simeon, many of the Jews, not only did they reject the Lord Jesus Christ, they rejected the miracles that he performed, all those signs that pointed to him being the promised Christ, But ultimately, they crucified him. And Mary saw Jesus nailed to a cross with his hands and his feet pierced through. She saw a sword being thrust into his side. That terrible experience and the painful memories of it would have been like a sword piercing through her own soul. Last of all, we'll consider an elderly prophetess by the name of Anna, verses 36 through to 38. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years 
which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. We can approximate how old Anna was. She'd been married for seven years and was a widow for 84 years. That means she was over 100 years old. And there she was, worshipping God day and night in the temple with fastings and with prayers. Additionally, she spoke about Jesus to all the other Old Testament saints who had looked for the redemption of Israel. I know that Anna had a God-given ministry. She was an Old Testament prophetess. Even so, how do we New Testament believers who now wait for the redemption of our bodies spend our time when we are not engaged in work, sleep, studies and various other necessities? We see what that old woman Anna did. Anna the prophetess. She worshipped God day and night at the temple. We don't have time to do that, do we? To be in church all day long. But how much time do we devote or set aside for worship? Seriously, think about it. Or talking to others about the Lord Jesus Christ as we wait for the Lord Jesus Christ because we're waiting as well, aren't we? Waiting for him to come back and to redeem our bodies. We have redeemed souls, but we still wait for the redemption of our bodies. And being with Jesus forevermore. In the Bible, darkness is a word that is often used to describe moral depravity, sin and death. The world that we live in is subject to such depravity, It is a world in which people walk in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness, the hardness of their sinful hearts. I've taken that from Ephesians chapter 4, but that's something we can all relate to, especially those of us who who have now seen the light by the grace of God. We recognise just what darkness we were in before God graciously lifted us up out of the darkness. And this is the, the, the state of this world that we live in. It's in a dreadful mess. It's, it's terrible. There's a lot of wickedness, a lot of misery, a lot of sorrow because people are walking in the vanity of their mind having their understanding darkened, understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. They're spiritually dead through the ignorance that is in them. I've seen the light. People talk about seeing the light, but I have. I've seen the light. Jesus, the light of the world. God, who made the, dark, uh, the light shine in the darkness On the first day of creation, God who said, let there be light on the first day. He's made his light to shine in my heart. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you seen the light? Have you seen Jesus through the eye of faith? What are your hopes, your aspirations, your desires? 
your priorities in this world? What are the things that you love? The things that you hate? A Christian is someone who is a new creature in Christ and the things that this world loves more and more, the Christian hates them as he prays that he would be more like Jesus, as he prays that he would honour and glorify God in the life that he now lives by faith by, of the Son of God who loved him and gave himself for him. Have you seen the light? Do you have a testimony that God, who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness, has shined in your heart, your sin-darkened heart? If by the grace of God you follow Jesus, who said, I am the light of the world, he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of the life, if you follow Jesus, you are someone who, are, who can identify with the hymn writer who wrote the words of, uh, of the hymn. We sung it earlier on. Charles Wesley said, Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night in darkness. Thine eye diffused the quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. Jesus said to his disciples, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Letting your light shine before men may involve witnessing the love of God to others as Anna did. Equally, it may involve bearing ridicule. It may involve experiencing loss, being slandered, being persecuted because of your faith and for the sake of the word of God. Simeon spoke to Mary about Jesus being set for the fall and rising of many of Israel. That speaks of many people rejecting Jesus and perishing in their sin. But it also speaks of others receiving him and believing in him as repentant sinners. An example of that can be found in chapter 18 where Jesus spoke a parable to people who were trusting in their own self-righteousness for their acceptance before God. Jesus told these self-righteous people about two men who were in the temple. One was a, a, a religious Jew, a Pharisee, and the other one was a publican. He was a tax collector. We can turn over the pages to Luke chapter 18. This really shows you two classes of people in this world. Luke chapter 18, verse 10 to 14. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. You can almost see him 
pointing his finger at, that, at the tax collector and looking down his nose at that tax collector, smug and all full of himself, how wonderful he imagined himself to be. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote his upon his breast dressed. He beat his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased or brought low. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. As it was with Israel in Mary's time, so it is now with the entire world. Forget all the bragging, the boasting about how great you are, what you have achieved, what you have done, God is not impressed. Whoever you are, cry out to God for mercy, pleading nothing other than the blood of Jesus. The Lord will hear your cry and he will save you by his grace. Amen.